Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person, and therefore has something to teach you, and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. My name is Pablo Gonzalez. I am your Chief Executive Connector. And today is a new friend that I'm making on the show via my buddy Moby, who gave me this warm introduction to this good-looking fellow, Glenn Allen, who is the go-to CMO of Digital Course Launches. As a multi-instrumental musician turned marketing and business consultant, Glenn coaches online entrepreneurs to scale from five to six-figure businesses and beyond by helping them turn their expertise into digital courses and membership sites. He's the host of The Glenn Allen Show, a YouTube video series about digital marketing, and a podcast on entrepreneurialism called Unstuck and Unstoppable. He's also an unpaid volunteer chef, housekeeper, and chauffeur for three small children, who referred to him lovingly as dad. He was referred to me lovingly from Moby as a content ninja himself. And I am really, really interested in crossing the, the bridge between what online coaches are doing to launch their kind of like scale their businesses and what I think small businesses are, you know, really just skipping over these like tactics that the that the hand-to-hand combat solopreneur can do. I think a $20 million business can do and really crush it with it because of the resources that they have behind it. So super pumped to get into it. Glenn, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Pablo. It's good to be here. Good to have you, man. Good to have you. Um, Glenn, as I warned you about 30 seconds ago, I like to kick it off with my thesis on human connection of quickest way to connect with somebody. So you can connect to our friend that's listening in her ear right now is to add some value to their life, which I'm sure you're going to do, or share a vulnerability, man. So I, I ask all my guests what you're struggling with, and maybe we can like dive into a little bit of pain. That way they see you as a human being, and then we we see all these great talents. It's not as impossible to see yourself in your shoes. All right. Let me grab a box of tissues first. <laughs> no, that sounds great. So one of the things that's really top of mind for me is... You've got this episode, it's uh, the 2020 Last Call, which um, I thought was just really entertaining. I like the way that you you told your story in a, a rhythmic way, along with a beat and everything like that. I thought that was super clever. As a musician, I really dug that. 
But more than that, I you said something about a client that you know she called you out on something and made and, and called you a weasel, and you had this situation where you just felt just like you couldn't you couldn't get past it. Like it was really weighing you down and you were kind of a shell of, of your normal self when you had to go do some conferences and it took the wind out of your sails, right? I am going through that today. I had one of my best performing clients from a couple of years ago reach out to me saying she saw a post I did that promoted the work we did together and her amazing results. And I really, my intent was to celebrate her success, but having her reach out and say, Hey, that's not your story to tell. And you shared some things that I told you during our, our coaching that you shouldn't have shared. It made me feel like a total jerk. And I was really questioning, like, am I in the wrong here? I sent this to some close friends to have them look at the post and, you know, and just see, but even though they're like, they've got my back and they're like, you are, this is basically a commercial for her. I still really feel terrible. And I, I apologize profusely and, you know, took it down. And I just have that, that weight, that energy on me, you know, you start second guessing everything. You could be riding high on getting people amazing results. And then five seconds later, you can get a, you know, a text like that or a voice message. And suddenly you feel like, who am I to be doing this? And you start questioning your own values and morals and ethics and wondering like, have I, have I been in the wrong the whole time? Man, that is... So as you know, I, I can totally relate to that based on, based on that 2020 last call thing, man. And first of all, thanks for showing up with great energy today, right? Like even, even, even with something weighing you down. Are you a, I'm going to make some assumptions based on the way that you show up and the way that you come across and, and the work that you do, but you strike me as somebody that kind of like approaches life from like an abundance standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. I find, man, I, as somebody that I, I feel very blessed that I got, you know, raised in a very positive household and whatnot. And I was literally just talking to my sister about this yesterday. She had this friend that had been like sabotaging her at work for like four years. And it was like a friend from like 14 years. And then when she realizes she's like, what the fuck is going on here? Right? Like it's so alien to, to have somebody react from a place when, when you're so into like the, the abundance thing and you're so well-natured to get hit sideways from like a wound that somebody has that, that is hard to either, I don't know if the right word is relate with or empathize with, but just like when you don't see it coming at all, it's particularly painful, man. Right. Like, and the best thing that I can tell you after having, you know, it took me like two months to get back from that, man. And it's, it's the idea that, you know, often it's coming from some trauma that happened and some that had nothing to do with you and, and, and something you did that was like totally innocuous triggered it, but it isn't, it isn't any easier to carry, man. But it's like, it's like trying to explain a dream, right? Like, it's like, it's not supposed to make sense, but it happened all in my brain and I woke up and it's still with me. Is that oh, kind of yeah. how you feel? That's exactly right. That feeling that just hangs on you, even though it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing that, man. Like, I, I don't know where to go with it with you without just being like, this is how you should feel because that's bullshit, right? But, but like, I think talking about it and and hearing from people that that have gone through it and and this idea that just because, man, I heard this great quote from Tim Ferriss: every don't believe everything you think. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, like, the idea that that you also shouldn't believe everything that somebody other people think, right? Like, just because they said it about you, like that weight that you're carrying is real, but. There is something, there is something there that won't, that, that, that at some point you're going to be able to walk away from after you carry it enough, man. 
tell me about your, tell me about kind of like, at the end of the day, it's also a supernatural entrepreneur feeling, right? Like, like this whole like cycle of not worthiness every once in a while when something goes wrong. <laughs> tell me, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey, man. So I started out, as you mentioned before, as a musician and as it is with a lot of musicians, you know, you gig around, you've got the dream of making it big and getting a record deal is the thing from back in the day. Now it's not really that, but it's, you know, maybe being a YouTube star or whatever, but, um, to pay the bills, I was teaching full-time. And as it turns out my teaching style, because I play 11 different instruments and I've had a lot of different teachers as a result, I learned a lot of teaching styles and I really picked up on some teachers are really great at coaching. And I included a lot of that in my teaching. As a result, people were getting great results. And I was working in a music store where if you bought like a guitar or a bass or a drum set, you automatically got a set of lessons with me to the point where in short order, I had great retention and people were booking and I was overbooked and we were turning people away. So I got tired of kind of saying the same things over and over, but I got really good at kind of a repeatable process of getting results. And I thought I got to make a YouTube channel of tutorials and at that time, digital courses were really a new thing, but I remember late one night, I was wanting to learn how to play like a Stevie Ray Vaughan style thing. And some guy had a, a YouTube video and it led to an offer for like a $27, how to play like Stevie It's called Stevie Snacks. I bought it and I was just blown away. I'm like, how did he offer this thing and then automatically deliver it to me through automation? Like, how is that possible? I didn't you know, know how that was done. And I even tried reaching out to find out, but it's all automated. So I couldn't get an answer. But I started diving into it and learning about it and created my first course on songwriting over time and spent, I think, like six months writing an ebook on on lyric writing. And I made like a whopping 70 bucks. <laughs> but what's great about that little would-be failure you know, experiment is people started noticing what I was doing and asking me, how do you do that? And I started getting freelance gigs. And I got as obsessed with music and that creativity of writing songs and performing as I was about creating marketing campaigns and setting up these automations and learning copywriting and hearing like learning about, you know, conversion design for websites and all kinds of things. So I just started investing really heavily and learning more and more through digital courses. And I got a degree in marketing. It taught me none of that stuff, like nothing that I do in the real world came from my college education, but it all came from online courses. And as I, as I started buying more and more of them, it helped me land an absolute dream job working for a coaching, consulting, and training firm in the area of leadership development. And I was able to take what I knew about like, you know, info products and such, and basically take their live 12 month training series and workshops and turn them into digital courses for them and member and virtual memberships and things like that. And then the pandemic hit. Thank God they had some of that stuff in place. Yeah. Uh, but that's when I realized, you know, all the side hustle I've been doing of actually helping other people launch digital courses. Now was my time to go full all in on that. And so that's that's the direction I went with their blessing. They're like, you know, this is this is the way to go. So I left on good terms and and started my own solo practice. That's awesome, man. And I know that now you're like this master of lead magnets and digital course launches and kind of all the way that all that flows, man. But I love, there's a couple, there's a couple things I want to tease out from your story that I really, really like. Number one is 
everything that I just said that I'm like, man, I'm coming out here with this like great idea of bridging the gap between the regular business world and what you're doing. You've already done that, man. Like, like going from a sales floor person that is giving out a lead magnet of, yeah, you buy this Fender Stratocaster, I'm going to teach you how to play it for a little while. And then later on, you're going to be my actual like music student to, you know, to, to then thinking, oh, wait a minute, if I'm doing this over and over again, I can scale this through content. And, and now that becomes this like much better process for yourself with a user experience that is much more efficient for both parties involved. If a, if a on-floor music instrument sales guy can do it, right? Like it's like, I feel like most, most businesses need to kind of catch up to this idea. What, what year was it that you bought that Stevie Ray uh, Vaughn thing, man? That had to be 2008. 2008. Okay. Oh, so that was really early on. So that's like around the time, like Pat Flynn, like started selling his like lead course for, for architects. This is the the early days of, of digital courses. All right. So, so you're a pretty, so to do that, did you have like a technical background when you started diving into that stuff or did you? No, I mean, I've always been pretty good with computers and stuff like that and pretty savvy. I did study web design and back then you had to cobble together a lot of tools. Like you had to take, you know, you had to learn like WordPress I don't even think there was Wix and Squarespace back then. I'm not sure, but you know, WordPress plus you had to integrate all these different third-party apps to make all this stuff work. So you had to, you know, use something like ConvertKit and Lead Pages or Mailchimp, and there's a lot of cobbling tools together. So now I just use one marketing platform, Kajabi, which like helps me do everything. So, yeah. are you a are you a tinkerer? Right, like as a, as a musician. I imagine that tinkering is kind of in your blood of just like getting stuff and kind of playing with it and and, and mixing around like did you did you look at a bunch of different online tools and the site on kajabi can you can you talk me through the reason why you use kajabi as a one as a one size fits all solution yeah i mean after years of having to do all these not to get too nerdy and technical but api calls and integrating things and i think zapier zapier was not even on the scene back then maybe it was but it wasn't really clear what it was uh, to integrate third-party software, it was a challenge to get all these things to talk to each other and get forms to spit out data into another database. And so you spent hours setting these things up, whereas now it's a tool, tool like Kajabi where it's like, it's my website, it's my email CRM, it is my payment processor, it delivers my lead magnets and my courses. I've got all kinds of automations in it. I don't really mess around with anything other than a client scheduler. So it would just seem like so much easier to get rid of all that wasted time. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Have you always been like a systemized type person? Like, are you, are you a pretty disciplined dude or has this been like learned by necessity for you in order to get to where you want to get? I'm an artist. So discipline is, is and isn't my thing, right? Like some people say, Oh my gosh, you're so disciplined. Like I could spend hours and day after day practicing, you know, the saxophone or drums or whatever. And I get in that zone, but that's not, that doesn't require any discipline on my part. I'm so focused in like, in the, like, just, it's like meditation. I think it's, it's akin to meditation. You get in this this flow state, you lose track of space and time and it's just enjoyable. And I never had to like force myself. I never got in like a regiment of, okay, today I'm going to put in 15 minutes or an hour. It was never like that. It was like, I needed to do it and I love doing it. So I would say I was pretty undisciplined where some people would look at that and be like, wow, you're really, you're really disciplined. But I've learned in life 
that although I love spontaneity and I, I love just kind of going with the flow, I actually have more time for spontaneity and going with the flow now that I've learned how to be more organized and systematic. I don't naturally, I'm not naturally like a systems guy. I find myself in the same boat, man. Like I'm not a, um, like I can get lost in having fun and something that I'm really, really into and lose track of time completely. Yet I, I really struggle with setting up my, like I, it gives me anxiety to look at my calendar and be like, this is what I have to do for the next week. But if I don't have it like that, I don't do anything. Right. Yeah. And, and like, as I'm reaching certain levels of my business, like this year to me is the year of discipline, right? Like I, it is now everything that I, you know, everything that I always kind of wanted is seems so like in grasp and I'm like, well, to fucking get it, I need to have like a morning routine and I gotta, you know, kind of like stick to some of this stuff, man. Did you, did you fight it naturally or, 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 or is it coming to you? Is it carrot or stick? I guess is what I'm asking. That's a great question. So there, there's a part in my journey that I went through a pretty difficult divorce and unwanted divorce. This happened, I think like three to five, it's all a blur three to five years ago. The, like the whole time period literally is a blur of time. It felt like it was 20 years. And so I struggle to remember the whole timeline, but in that time, I started really focusing on, on myself and improving myself and really got into self-improvement. One of the first places was, was fitness. I weighed like 120 pounds. I was always scrawny and non-athletic. And I, I decided I'm going to learn how to change that. And that changed, you know, I, I eventually got muscular and put on 30 pounds and that change made me realize, oh my gosh, what else can I change? So all these, these identities we have like, oh, I'm not organized or I'm a person who I'm not a morning person. I realized all of this is just a blueprint we follow that, you know, is informed from our past and things people have told us and maybe some preferences. And so I decided to start looking into what I could change. One of the first ones was I did the miracle morning thing, the hell Elrod thing. And I thrived at it for a while, but then I started realizing I didn't need it. And I kind of fell off of it. And I had this guilt about not doing it. And what happens, I think a lot of times with these systems is some of them are a little bit like hustle hard. And I don't, I realize that's not me. I don't need to be that. I can implement things and be a little bit more loose with it and have some structure without being rigid and still have some success. And so I think it's about kind of having a little grace with yourself. Mm, I like that. Grace. So self-forgiveness, right? Like not, don't, don't shame yourself. Right? Yeah. Cause sometimes you're like, Oh, why am I not doing this thing that I keep saying I want to do? Well, it's probably because you don't want to do it. And so, yeah, I, that whole like self-improvement thing grew into a, actually a YouTube channel with one of my best friends who's a life coach. It was called the Glenn and Aaron show. We did like a comedy take, not a comedy take, but it was like a, a humorous buddy, buddy show about, you know, self-improvement, success habits and all those things. And that, that show stopped when Aaron was like, this is too much. This is a lot of work. Weekly episodes for six months straight. He's like, you take the channel, you run with it. I, I love you, but I, I, this is hard work. And so I, I, I took it over and made it the Glenn Allen show. But we still continue those weekly conversations on the phone. And we just actually had this conversation this last week. Why, why he wasn't going to the gym is like, he, he really didn't want to. He just got off a of vacation and he was shaming himself for it. And sometimes you just gotta be like, hey, if I just even just go for a bike ride, that's not a failure. I did something. And so sometimes you just gotta be like, what is the least... I could do that is enough rather than how do I go beast mode right now? You know, really good advice, man. I, 
the, the idea of, I was talking to somebody yesterday, right. Who like, is at the point where he hates his job. He's like, just turned 30, hates his job. And it's just like, dude, I'm done with this. I just want to like quit, start a boy's ranch and like take kids camping with your dad. I'm like, that's cool, man. Um, there's small steps you can take towards that <laughs> without, without, without blowing everything up. And it's like this, we we're so hardwired to like go to the extremes, right? Like we're seeing it a lot in society and whether it's extreme of beating yourself up or extreme of like causing drastic change immediately and expecting it to happen right now, the idea of be a little bit kind to yourself, have a little bit of patience with yourself, you know, as you are, as you are transitioning in what are natural swings, I think is a, you know, like underestimated (laughs) advice, man. Can you talk me through a typical course launch, right? Like the the way your methodology at a 10,000 square foot level, if you are somebody that is looking to, you are somebody that helps people, you have an idea for this program that's going to help the world, right? Like you got this great idea in your head. Can, Can you talk me through kind of like, the steps and the frameworks that you think people the, the people should take to to get to the point where they're putting out a good digital product that is that is useful to them, and I'll let you define that however you want. Uh, I'm going to struggle to make that real like ten thousand foot level without okay. getting too much in the weeds because that could go in so many different directions. But I think that the easiest thing is to say that there's a couple of mistakes people make. One is that they think I've got this great idea for a course and I'm going to make it because I'm an expert in this. And this is, this is how I became successful. And therefore everybody else is going to find this valuable. And when you, when you don't really like have a process of first running other people through that process or teaching it or mentoring or coaching or something where you're getting those repeat success, kind of like when I was a music teacher, right? I kept saying the same things over and over because I was realizing I could, I could actually I could predict exactly where, where and when they were going to struggle on something. And before it happened, I'd say, now, right now, you're about to go, oh, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Or you're about to go, ah, I can't do this. And I already know you're going to say that because I do this all the time. I don't care and I'm not here to judge you. You're going to fail after I ask you to do this thing at least three to five times, but you'll get it on about the sixth or seventh time. That's cool. So fail, do it. Just keep repeating it. I don't care. I'm not judging anything that you're doing. I need you to fail so you can figure it out. So when you get those kind of like that, that those, you know, those swings in, you've got enough practice getting people results, or you can kind of predict what they're struggling with rather than thinking with the expert mind, you think with the beginner mind, Mm. you know, you've got something that's going to help a lot of people. So that's, that's kind of like the first mistake is assuming just because you, you got results in something that your way of doing it is the way other people could do it. Some people just don't think like you. And the other thing is a lot of people think, well, I'm going to create this thing and I'm just going to put it up for sale and have it on like an online store or something like that. And people will just buy it. And none of my clients have had success with that. You can absolutely do that. If you've got something else that kind of uh, is drumming up a lot of business and leads to something like that, like if it's an add-on for your consulting services, that totally works. I've got a client who he's a, you know, he's like a, a national public speaker and, a, and a, a writer for Forbes. And he has this consulting business teaching people how to up-level businesses, customer service. And so his main thing is the consulting, but he has this back library of all these great courses that are evergreen, ready to go. That does really well. But what works with the people that I work with, generally speaking, is having some kind of sense of urgency, a finite window in which that course is available. It's what we call an open cart, closed cart 
window. It's generally, you know, a week to two weeks, which is a lot. I'd say a week to 10 days is really ideal. So you, you ramp up, you market, you have some kind of launch mechanism, which could be like a webinar or a five-day challenge, or it could be something like a pre-recorded series of videos that brings people through an opportunity and teaches them something and then gives them an invitation at the end to take it further into your program. So Got it. So sense of urgency, you know, scarcity drives demand, right? Like the, the psychology of influence. Yeah. I mean, like my, my client, Michelle had this course. She, so Michelle was out of work with COVID. She was a sound engineer for Elvis, Elvis Costello, who is my favorite songwriter. She was doing Gwen Stefani's live sound, Janet Jackson, like some of the biggest names in, in music. And then COVID hit, she created this course. She put it up for sale. And she's like, you know, I had a few people on my email list buy it for like a thousand dollars. I'm like, no, we're going to take that off the store. We're going to tell people like, hey, this is your last chance. If you want to get it, go get it now before I, I go only launch this live and I'll only be doing it seasonally. And so, you know, we ran through that the, the whole like course launch process that I bring people through. And, you know, it was a five figure launch. So there's a big difference between what happens when you use urgency versus when you have something that's just sitting there on the shelf ready to go. That makes a ton of sense, man. So then let's talk about let's talk about the psychology of a launch, right? So I'll use myself as an example. I I have a very expensive, I mean, expensive to me and 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 maybe to like a solopreneur, right? Like I my 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 business is a seventy five hundred dollar a month done for you business development machine. I call the relationship flywheel, kind of like what I what I described in that uh, in that last call thing with a really great track record of completely changing the business development dynamics of a $150 million company, right? As I am, as I am finding my market, right? Like I've, I, I, I realized that I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I get a lot of interest and I get people like 90, 95%. I've had multiple people send me an email saying I'm in, we're ready to start and then haven't closed in a month and a half, right? Like that's happened to me a couple of times. How would I, how would I apply the launch kind of dynamic to something like that? Like, how would you advise me to, to, to approach selling that with a scarcity window, even though it's my product that I sell anyways, right? Like it's, it is the service that I do. How, how, what, what would be kind of like the way to approach that? There is one thing that I see a lot of consultants in my space do, which is sort of that fast action pricing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have ever employed anything like that, where it's like, okay, if you're ready to go, here's the contract or, you know, how are the, you know, the mechanism to sign up. And if you sign up before this date, this is the price. After that, it's going to be my usual price. So that is, that is one way in which you can do that. And you know, that might take a little tech setup on the back end, or it might just do it kind of with a verbal thing. Mm-hmm. Ways to do that. So that's one approach you could take. Beyond that, Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, there's also the understanding that, you know, you are an in-demand person. And so you, you might have to find a way in which it's like, okay, well, you know, this, this is available between now and this time. Otherwise, I've got other clients. And, you know, you can't really fake that, but there are, there's ways of letting people know like, hey, there's, there's kind of like a waiting list for this. And so for us to get started and actually reserve this time, you have to, you know, jump in before this time. I think that's it really right there. It's just, you know, if you want to reserve your, your, your consulting time for this, for this time here, before some other client comes in and gets it, here's the sign up expiration date, so to speak. 
Yeah, that's totally doable for me, right? Because at, at my scale, I don't really want to onboard more than two clients at a time, right? So I, I could be like, hey, man, I got two spots open to onboard somebody this month. So are we talking about this month or next month? If you're talking about next month, fine. Like, we'll just take a meeting later on, right? Like, so that could that could drive that scarcity. I like that a lot, man. Talk to me about the psychology of a lead magnet, right? Like, what what do you think through when you are, you've created this, like, the golden lead magnet thing, right? Like, you're a lead magnet expert. What's the what's the psychology of the lead magnet? What, what does somebody really need to think about? I, I, like, I love how you approach the the coaching, the the online course thing as you got to think from as a beginner, right? Like I, I, I love that, right? Because I think people often speak way above the receiver's level. They're thinking about themselves and not the other person. Is there is there an equivalent to that in the lead magnet space? Is there like a, a psychological perspective that, that really makes a big difference? Absolutely. So, you know, whatever industry you're in, there's some kind of ethical bribe that people use to build a list or an email list of some sort, whether it's called a white paper, which I think is the most boring name ever, or a free report. Even ebook has kind of become, it's, it's, it can be powerful for some industries, but for some, it sounds like work. And so I recommend people don't do like an ebook necessarily. But really, it's about, there's a few things that I teach people. And it's actually in the Golden Lead Magnet free training that I do. I talk about when you're picking that topic of what you want to be your ethical bribe, think about number one, what is the end result that, or what is the, the, the final sale or offer that you're going towards? Because some people will pick some area of their, their industry that is a need, like a burning pain desire. That's, a, that's definitely a prerequisite, but they won't line it up necessarily with, with what they're going to offer at the end of the sequence. It might be some aspect that's kind of tangentially related to their business thinking like, well, we'll get them in that way. But then there's a mismatch between the journey of, well, they're interested in this thing and your program is more this thing. They're kind of related. So you make it, you know, absolutely like aligned with what your offer is going to be. And as I said, you don't want it to be like perfectly aligned. You want it to be a burning pain that your client or customer or ideal person would want to solve. And you're going to solve it for them. And in doing so, you close a small loop that opens the loop on a larger, good to have, what I call next level problem that your paid offer is going to solve, right? And they're going to, you're going to have that kind of, that reciprocity, you know, you're going to have that goodwill built with them when you solve that problem. They're like, oh, if they, they can articulate this problem I have so well, they must have the solution. The other thing when doing that is think about things you don't necessarily want to solve. You don't want to have a solution for, you don't want to work with them on. And, or they need to have at least ready to go that would qualify them to buy your offer or work with you or hire you. You know, for me, that's often, I, the golden lead magnet solved the problem that I had with, with people who are coming in and asking for my help is if they want to launch a course, they need to have somebody to sell it to. And oftentimes they didn't have an email list built. And so I thought, well, I don't want to help them do that while we're also trying to launch something. Their sales are going to be terrible. I'm going to feel bad about, you know, charging what I charge and not getting them an ROI. So let's solve this for them first. And then when they're ready, they're going to be like, oh man, this guy's an expert. I like this content and he knows his stuff. I want to keep working with him. I'm ready to launch. So if you do that with your, with your ethical bribe, your lead magnet, you're going to knock it out of the park. Got it. Got it. So... First of all, have you, 
Are you like a Robert Cialdini guy? Like, I feel like all we're doing is quoting like the seven levers of influence, right? Like, like I love it. Like I'm, it's stuff I love, right? I think inadvertently, I haven't read any of his books, but he's quoted everywhere by everybody whose books I've already read. So you know how that goes. You hear one thing, you're like, that's not the person who actually said that originally. Jay Abraham said that originally or something like that. You know, you run into those all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is kind of like the godfather of the guy who wrote the book. On, right. It's called Influence, right? It's like the seven levers, but like the scarcity, the the ethical bribe, right? Like the the gifting, like it's it's very, very related. You're clearly a student of marketing and, and well-read, right? Well, so I'm enjoying this like nerdy conversation of like behavioral <laughs> triggers, man. Um, so I love the, I love where you went, right? This idea of let's get somebody a better problem that they want to have, right? Like my, my biggest client, we run on Tuesdays and Thursdays morning and we always talk about it. It's like, you're never out of problems. You just get to have better problems, right? Like, and that's, and that's life. In solving somebody's, in solving an initial problem and positioning it, where does, you know, I, I see you as a great content creator, right? Like where, where does, where does the design, the quality of the content, where, you know, like the, the level of the camera, the, the design on the webpage, how snazzy the brand images, where is that in the ranking of you as a great teacher and a great coach? How much does that actually help somebody learn? How much do they value that stuff? Is that something that somebody should be really thinking about when they're going to do this? Absolutely not. I definitely see where people get so bogged down by the quality of you know the video and their backdrop and all these things and the camera and i i got in that for years i mean i'm standing right next to a really nice dslr camera with a fancy lens that makes like the background look all perfectly bouquet and blurred and cool i don't use it anymore because it takes too long to set all that stuff up and it's too fussy and right now especially people don't care. They accept and understand that people are working from home. I mean, hey, check this out. I am in my basement. You can see, oh, that's not a real office behind me. Like this (laughs) is the reality that we're in, right? I have a very realistic, photorealistic backdrop, but it's a backdrop. I have cinder blocks behind me. You know, I got to work somewhere, right? What I've found is even some of the high ticket courses that I've purchased, some of which are, you know, they start around $2,000 and up by some, some of these thought leaders they're just in their kitchen or they're just in their home office and either, you know, they're using their laptop monitor. They're not using like a fancy lapel. I have like a few on my desk here. I mean, even before we started this call, I've got this, it's like a $2,000 recording studio mic. It just crapped out on us before I started the call. So we're just using my, my, my laptop, but the level of quality, even on a high ticket thing, does not matter that much to your students. What matters is, can you give them the information and the results they're after? I, I've, I've gladly purchased some courses that, you know, it was just like a picture-in-picture thing in a slide deck, and I got so much out of it. Now, I've bought also some higher-ticket courses where it's flashy. A lot of it's run on its own home-baked custom website software service membership portal, and it comes with, like, some slick you know, workbooks and it's, you know, all that stuff. It's all just kind of bells and whistles. And I, it, I don't really care. It didn't help me get the results. The content is what matters. Mm. It reminds me of, I just read Creativity Inc., the story of Pixar. Yeah. And in chapter two, he says something like, he's talking about how Toy Story almost sucked. Like it sucked for like a year and a half because Woody was this like jerk and nobody really liked him. And he, and he says something about like, for all that we invest in like visual acuity and and design without a good story, nothing matters, right? So it's like, 
Pixar is telling you really the graphics and like the schnaz and whatever doesn't matter unless like the, there's real meat there and there's there's something really to be learned or to, or to be you know had a story right absolutely I mean that's I think why so many people my age are so upset about like the prequels of Star Wars versus the original Star Wars trilogy yeah that's a great call that's a really really good call yeah let's get a little bit more personal I you're a musician and you know your stuff I can't I don't understand Elvis Costello. Like what, what am I, what am I missing there? Like what is, when everybody says that he's the best songwriter of all time, is it like a structure thing? Is it how he does it? Like what is there to appreciate about Elvis Costello? He is an impeccable wordsmith. One of the most clever out there. And also as a melodian, a melody maker, some of his melodies are on par with, you know, some of the stuff Paul McCartney did as a Beatle and they've worked together. He definitely was highly influenced by the Beatles. Yeah. And I think some of it matters what what genre and area of his career you dive into. I don't think it's going to hit for everybody, but stylistically, he's also well-rounded. I mean, he's done everything from classical to jazz to rock. He's done a little bit of uh, kind of soul hip-hop stuff with the roots. So, you know, he's he's got a lot of things going for him. <laughs> if I'm a big, I like, I love the Beatles, right? Like I freaking love the Beatles and I love hip hop, right? Like you said, two th- right? Like I always talk about, so I have this like outcasting in the background, like outcast. I always say like outcast is the Beatles to me, right? Yeah. What do I dive into with Elvis Costello? If I want that, if I want that feeling, if I want that Beatles kind of like feel. Oh, what album is that? It's an album called blood and chocolates. It might be a good one to go with. He's got, he's okay. He's got this album called Imperial Bedroom. That is kind of his own. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It's oh. actually probably one of my least favorite albums. I think it's it's over the top. And I think he'd probably agree. It's it's produced over the top to be very George Martin production style. I think he even worked with George and Giles Martin on that one to get that Beatles sound. What was the name um, of that one? That is Imperial Bedroom. Imperial Bedroom. Right, I think like writing down for my own notes. He was he was his I don't know about best kind of Beatlesy stuff, but his um See this song called Veronica. That's really cool. And he did, I think he wrote that with Paul McCartney. All right. I'm going to check that out. I've been, you know, like I, I consider myself a culture dude, right? So like when somebody is like, so equanimous or what what was the word I'm thinking about? So just like understood by the culture of like people that really appreciate something and I can't get it. Like, I feel like an idiot. Right. So I, I, I really appreciate this as a musician and as somebody that came up with, you know, understanding multiple instruments did you always was there always like a high value placed on creativity for you is that is that something that you've learned was that natural to apply to business or is that something that you've learned in recent times that it actually applies to the business the idea that being creative is a superpower for entrepreneurship or business or the way that you navigate life I think it's essential. I grew up, you know, with a dad who's a professional drummer. My great, my grandfather was a big band jazz saxophonist. I never knew him because he died when my mom was two, but I play his saxophone. My mom did interior design. My sister is a graphic designer and an incredible painter. And so it's just kind of, it's just something that I just take for granted maybe. But when it comes to business and marketing, to really stand out, amongst even the noise, noisiest of niche, it's not always enough to have the best product or service. It's really finding other ways of creatively diversifying yourself and standing out. And it doesn't have to be some wild thing. It just, 
put a little, you know, have a little thought in it. Like I, I do this thing with my clients called, I call it the proprietary process planner, where we take, you know, what is the, what is the way in which you get your client or consultant or your client or student from point A to point B, you know, where they are to where they want to be. And so they usually have some kind of thing they do, whether that's a course or a coaching program. And then I listen to it and I go, okay, so let's distill that into the tiniest things. Step one, you're going to do this. Step two, you're going to do that. Step three, you'll do that. And then let's, let's come up with like an acronym for that or a, a secret sauce for that, like something with a little sizzle. So I mentioned, you know, Michelle before her course was teaching people how to do, how to make their music sound professional using sound engineering tools that most non-sound engineers wouldn't really know because they're songwriters or something like that. So using frequencies and instead of making this very techie thing, she's like, I'm going to teach them how to listen and how to hear the frequencies. And then once they're able to know what to listen for, I'll teach them how to name them almost out of thin air. And then I'll show them how to manipulate them and what to cut and boost so that their songs can sound like the hit songs in the radio. And I'm like, okay, so they're hearing them, they're listening here. They're going to identify what they are. Then they're going to manipulate them here. Identify here, identify tweak H I T. Okay. I got it. If you want your songs to sound like a hit, you need to have the H I T hit production process. So now that's like her secret sauce everywhere she goes. She's like, I'm going to run you through my hit production process to make your song songs sound professional, like the hits on the radio. Bam. So that kind of thing, people can in an instant grasp what she's, what she's teaching them and only she can have that. So she's weeded out competition in that niche. Yeah. I love it. I love what, I love exactly where you went there, man. Like, and, and I've lived that too, right? Number one is, have you ever read the book play bigger or are you familiar with category design? No, I'm not. I'm going to write this down though. Oh man. It's, it's the whole, it's everything about how different beats better all day long. Right. And you create your own category instead of compete in somebody else's category kind of thing. And it's the only book I've read twice in under 12 months. And the, the, the discipline of category creation kind of guides my life now. Right. Like I look at the stock market like that way and, 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 and I, and it's, it's amazing. Like it's a deep rabbit hole for somebody that thinks like that. You're really going to like it. And just to illustrate the point that you're making, my whole, what I was selling of, you know, proving community creation is the future of business development and it's through content and community, whatever, until I coined it a relationship flywheel. You know, the moment that I coined it that, it became this very, very attractive, like, oh, I'll fly, you know, people get the flywheel piece as an integral part of business. They're like, oh, relationship flywheel, I'm a relationship business, right? Like finding the right language and packaging to, to put something in completely dramatically changes the results of reactions that you get, right? So like your illustration of that hit thing and how you just explained that, I think is phenomenal. And for the record, I'm making a micro content piece out of that because I think it's really, really good. You ready for the lightning round, dude? Absolutely. All right. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what do you order? It's a place called Bray's in downtown Milwaukee, and they do all locally organically sourced foods. And I believe they have a Brussels sprouts dish. Oh man, I'm going to feel bad if they don't, they're not those of the Brussels sprouts, but everything I order there is great. But I'm a big fan of Brussels sprouts. When they're roasted with like balsamic glaze and nuts and raisins and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Thanks for that, man. Every So everywhere I go, and by the way, this is supposed to be a compilation of like travel based on the chief executive connector and where you go eat, right? So I'm glad that you you went there. And for the record, every time I go anywhere, my go-to move to figure out if there's good restaurants is I just put farm to table in Google, oh, right? Like yeah. in, in Google maps. And then it's like, okay, that, that, that's probably good. Or like vegetarian restaurant. Like if you can make a good vegetarian dish, you're a good restaurant. Right. So like, 
I'm super into that recommendation. I think we have a place called Farm to Table, and it's also amazing. <laughs> there you go. Good stuff, man. What what content are you most into right now? Right, like this could be Netflix and series, Netflix and chill series du jour, or it could be like your favorite book that you're like into right now, or like your favorite podcast you're listening to. Like what 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 content are you most like digging into these days? I am really into pod and also Netflix. So let's see here. Podcast wise, one of my favorites is actually one of my good friends, Jacqueline Malone. She's called the go-to girl. And I think you'd like her because she's also like a big connector. She's all about connections. And so that's one of them. Let me think here. Uh, I'm struggling to think of other ones off the top of my head. Netflix wise, I've been digging back into some nostalgia lately. So my fiance and I are watching Scrubs right now. We're we're watching that. Yeah. And uh, she's been actually Scrubs has created the same creator created Cougar Town, and it's a very like comfort blankety show. And I didn't think I'd like it, but I'm enjoying it. And this is a weird one, but Gilmore Girls, <laughs> awesome. All right. There's a podcast called Gilmore Guys, and they they talk about their love for the show, and they have like great people on there, like comedian Jason Manzukas. I don't know if you know him. He's on Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's on the League. He's on I'm Sorry. He's this. Who is he in the league? Who is he in the league? I don't know who he is. Raff, Raff, oh, Rafi. El Cunado. Yeah. yeah, I love that guy. Yes. <laughs> so he loves Gilmore Girls too. So he's on an episode. And when I, when I heard that, I, I was like, okay, I can't, I can wear that badge of honor now. Like I'm not ashamed to admit it. Awesome, dude. Awesome. I like that one. That's a good one. What is something that you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe? Whoa. Something, you know, that's a, a really hard one to, to, okay. If you do everything the right way, and you are, you know, you just live your life right. Everything is going to go well for you. There's no guarantee there. You can, you can do things the best way and still you're going to have problems in this world. Very profound and very true, man. Good stuff. What is, what's the, either, either the favorite piece of advice that you ever gotten or your like go-to piece of advice that you love to give everybody? Pick one. This is really top of mind because of the journey I've gone through recently. I've been, you know, with buying tens of thousands of dollars of digital courses, you keep thinking, okay, this next thing is going to be the thing that gives me success, or I'm going to follow this playbook and I have to do it perfectly their way. This, this, this new revelation has realized, made me realize that that's been driving me crazy. And it's actually been leading, leading to a lot of just anxiety. The, the truth of the matter is those people came up with their own systems you can't just blindly follow someone's playbook. Take what you can and leave the rest, right? Write your own playbook. That's where I am right now. I love it, man. And you've referenced this a couple of times, right? The idea that the magic comes in the recontextualization of what you've already seen, right? Like take take what you're what you're learning from people, add your twist to it and make it yours in order to make it work. And, and, that, and that is kind of the essence of creativity to, to a large extent, man. I really Absolutely. like that. Yeah, very cool. That's yeah. why, why it drives me nuts that a lot of bands these days are getting sued for sounding like other uh, old artists because a lot of those same old artists did the exact same thing. Totally, totally, totally. Before I ask you your last question, man, this is uh, your opportunity. Send, you know, the person that just hung out with us for an hour and thinks you're the coolest, what's the next step for them or promote whatever you want to promote or draw attention to whatever you want, man. Stage is yours. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about creating a better lead magnet for your business, definitely check out the glennellenshow.com slash GLM. There's the golden lead magnet free training there. Otherwise I do have a YouTube channel where you can, you can check out the old episodes of the Glenn and Aaron show and also the new episodes of the Glenn Allen show where I talk about success habits, but also anything you want to know about launching and selling and marketing digital courses.
Love it, man. I'm going to link to all that in the in the show notes for show. And my last question is, what, where do you find community? I find community in a few places. One of my favorites is I do run a mastermind of other digital marketers who are at the top of the game. I love those people. and We meet every Friday. We're called The Den, the Digital Experts Network. But also I find community through a lot of Facebook forums, heavily invested in a lot of those. And it's funny how those people become your friends in a weird way. You know, man, there's so many, I ask this question to everybody and so many people find community online and similar kind of things, right? Like I, part of, I'm going to try to keep this rant really short because it's supposed to be the end of the show, but like part of, part of everything that I believe in right now is this idea that our culture is digital, man. Like our, our, our relationships, if you, people have this like holier than that, Facebook sucks or Instagram sucks or whatever. But if you really, if you really take inventory of the percentage of time you spend nurturing or building relationships and how much of that is spent via digital mediums, whether it's with your best friend from forever or not, you know, you're using technology to communicate and yet we still love to bash it. So like, I think there's like a giant catching up to do of understanding that our culture has gone digital and that we are creating community in digital forums. And then there's a whole nother wide open space of the idea that businesses aren't thinking about it like that at all, man. Like businesses still think relationships are cold calling, not commenting on someone's LinkedIn, you know, like which wide open space. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Dude, I'm really, I'm really pumped. We did this, man. A shout out to Moby for this intro, Glenn. I, I, I hope that we can build this relationship, be friends, man. I hope to add value to your life in some way or another, man. I appreciate you spending time to share your superpowers and your recommendations on food and Elvis Costello are two that I will absolutely <laughs> figure out to put into work, my friend. Thank you, man. Thank you. This is fun. I didn't want this uh, interview to end. Right on. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.